Brandon. Dude, all right. Sorry about that, man. Technical difficulties aside. <laughs> no worries. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, man. Everything's good. Um, the way I record this is uh, we just roll. I mean, I don't I don't try to, to make it anything that it isn't, and I don't try to make it too fancy. So we're already going, so we'll just keep going with it, man. Okay, I want to cool. ask you. I want to ask you something because you're a, for those that don't know you, you're kind of this uh, death defying athlete. You know, you get into some pretty cool stuff. I've just started doing jujitsu. Have you ever rolled or anything like that? Uh, a little bit, not a whole lot. Actually, my son just started, um, he just started jujitsu classes about a month ago and he's really good. Yeah. Well, how do you deal with the soreness? of all the things that you do. Cause I know like surfing, you get slammed hiking in the mountains. Cause this is all new to me. Like I've been an athlete my whole life. Um, I've had aches, pains, sprains, bruises, broken legs, everything else. And what I'm feeling from jujitsu is unlike anything I've ever felt in sport because it's like constant tension, you know, and a lot of the sports that you're involved with, like surfing specifically, we'll talk there it's kind of the same thing because the wave gives, you have to receive, you give the wave has to, you know, bend a little bit there too. when you're cutting through with the board, do you feel any of that tension kind of stiffness, soreness? Yeah. You know, I mean, when the, when, you know, when the surf is really, really good and you're surfing yeah. all day long, you know, that the, it's, it's funny because surfing is not like jujitsu. Like if you want to go roll for 10 hours straight all you got to do is call your buddy and be like hey i got the mats out let's roll i want to roll yeah. for 10 hours today you can literally do that every day of the week if you have the time and the energy yeah. but with surfing like right now i'm on the north shore of oahu and this is like the mecca of surfing but the waves are flat today and so no matter how much i want to surf today it's really it's really not really meant to be surfed all day and but when mother nature turns on and the waves get really good you really got to make the most of those days. You know what I mean? So like there's some days when I've surfed like 10 hours in a day and yeah. you know, because waves are so good that you feel crazy for going in you surf until your arms turn into noodles. And because you know, the next day is it's, it's not going to be like that again. And so sometimes a window of opportunity for surfing opens up so wide and you got to make the most of it when it's happening. And then, the next day you're, you're blown, you know, every single yeah. part of your body is, is in extreme pain. So, I mean, those are just, I, you know, I mean, those are, those are the days when you're so stoked because that, that pain just means that you made the most of the swell and the, most of the conditions, you know? So, yeah, well, man, it's, it's been really something cool to me and, you know, listen to guys talk about jujitsu from, you know, like a kind of like a technical level, but also, calling it a thinking man, thinking man's game. I've been trying to find things to help me kind of deal with this energy gap that I had, that I was pushing everything in my life towards powerlifting, you know, trying to have an outlet and, and having an outlet for all this energy that I have. And bow hunting has been a part of that after I stopped powerlifting. Um, running has been some of that. Training has still been some of that in different directions. But I got into rock climbing, which was really, really cool because I have a hard time focusing on things. Like I have really, really bad ADD and yep. I love finding things where I can't think about anything else. You know what I mean? Like rock climbing oh, yeah. is, so, is so cool to me because if you get lag on your focus, you're falling. And I was doing a lot of bouldering. So that was, you know, that was a challenge for me. And then like 
I've found very few other things that allow me to dial in like that. Um, yeah. Where, where do you live? live? I'm in Kentucky. So, um, we got and the is rock climbing good there. Red river gorge is one of the top 10 places in the world, man. Um, there's always really, really just tons and tons of climbers and, uh, we've oh, got a really cool. good system here. I mean, it's, I feel kind of bummed about it. I'm sure you have your own, your own feelings around it. Like it's awesome through COVID to see so many more people outside, so many more people doing like really, really cool stuff. Um, but it's also kind of like, man, I miss when the park was empty or I miss when the trail was just me uh, a little bit of a selfish kind of angle on it. But yeah, dude, going up to red river gorge, it's almost been insane how many good, good climbers are there to the point where, I've not even participated just to watch, you know what I mean? And I, I really get up, like I, I get charged to do better on that. And now that my arm is finally better because I tore my bicep doing that, um, you know, I want to get back into it. But do you find yourself like seeking new things to do because you've been such a good surfer for so long and recognizes that, or are you just content to surf like as your main thing? Oh man. Um, that's a, that's a really good question. I, I, it's, it's interesting because with, you know, my whole life I've been obsessed with surfing. It's been, you know, my, like my, my true love and my passion and then it became my job. And so for the last like, you know, 30, 35 years, that's been my complete focus in life. And then, um, you know, but now I have two young kids when one of my son is 14 and my daughter just turned 11 today. Actually, it's her birthday. Oh, and um, yeah, awesome. so I, I got my hands full. So I don't have a whole lot of time, which might be surprising for some out there who, you know, know me as a pro surfer. You would think that's all I have. But um, so, yeah, between between surfing for, for fun and surfing for work um, and my family, I don't have tons and tons of time to start new hobbies or get yeah. into different things. I am really, really into bow hunting sure. and archery. Um, and so any free time that I can carve out for myself, I spend bow hunting. Well, you know, I was going to tell you this, um, before we started recording, but it's, it's an honest thing. So I want to tell you here, you're a guy that I look at as someone, um, that I really admire with the way that you, you handle yourself as far as being a blue check guy on Instagram, you know, somebody that has a big following, somebody that has, um, a tie to a specific sport, but I really don't see you like really going out of your way to be anything, but exactly what you are. You know, so many people become influencers. I, I even feel this myself. Like I get pulled into these positions where I feel compelled or almost like I have to post things and you do a really good job of just integrating all that you're about into the few posts that you do. Like you'll go radio silent for weeks and months. So do you think that like, that's probably not the best idea <laughs> for my work, but you, but you're right. I, I, um, I don't know. I just, I, I feel like as I'm getting, getting older and, and, um, I don't know. I just, I just want, I don't, I, I, I hate feeling forced to do things that I, sure. this is going to sound super weird, but, um, and, and, and kind of lame, but I just don't want to do things I don't want to do period. No. You know, if I, if I really don't want to do something, I just won't do it. No matter how, no matter how obligated I kind of, I feel like I am or whatever, yeah. like if something doesn't feel right, if something doesn't feel authentic to what I'm doing in my life, I just, just simply will not do it. 
Um, what do you think that is? Because, you know, I would, I would classify us as similar in the, in the regards of like, we both reach a certain level of, of sport performance or recognition yeah. within a sport. Um, but I'm also the same way. Like if I don't, if I don't believe in something or get behind something, it's really, really difficult for me to do things in that direction. And also like, even when I do them just out of a sense of, of like, I really owe this person something, or I really feel like these people are trying to do something good, but we're just not on the same page. It's so bad. Like it just comes out so chunky and awkward for me. Um, I just suck at it. So I've learned that for me, I'm, I'm much better served to like, just wait it out and wait for the right things to come instead of trying to force it. But that's hard when you're, when you're a freaking broke kid and somebody's like, Hey, come, come rep this company or something like that. How did you navigate that water? Whenever you were coming up? Cause I think part of the question before lends itself to you've been relevant in the, in the surfing community for how long, 25 years, 20 years. I mean, a long yeah, time, right? I've, you're not just trying to cut your teeth in a market. You're, you're established no. as like one of the dudes. I've, I've had a, I've been under contract at Billabong for 30 years. Yeah. So, <laughs> so right. I, I, you know, I've, I've been, that, that's all I've done for a living for 30 years. And, um, so yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's been a long road and there's been bumps along the way and tons of lessons learned, but I, you know, now, now I've, now I'm sort of on the other day, sort of on the other end of things. And, um, I've seen a lot of, you know, people come and go and, and things change and, and, uh, yeah, I, I'm, you know, I think I just have a lot of, you know, I just, I kind of have a little bit of a different perspective on things now. And, and, um, but, but, but you're right when you're young and, and you're broke and you gotta, you gotta, you know, hustle really hard and things pop up that may not be very authentic to you. And then, and, and that's something that, 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 um, I didn't, I, I, w- I didn't really have those opportunities when I was a kid. There, there were like, there was no internet. There was no social media. There, there weren't, there was no YouTube when I, right. when I started this thing. So being inauthentic is something that's relatively new because these days there's opportunity. If you're willing to do crazy weird things that may not really suit who you are as the human, you know, there's, there's financial reward in that sometimes. And that's something that really wasn't available to me when I was a kid. And maybe that's a good thing, you know? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, as a, as a father, I certainly don't want my son to make the mistakes that I made or, or he really even find himself in in much of the trajectory that my life went. Um, But you've got a son that is like killing it as a surfer, you know, so having this generational thing, I know it kind of takes on a, a different meaning for that because that's a, that's a big thing in the surf community is, is like the generations of surfers. Um, how proud are you of him? And then also how like hesitant are you of him to get more and more exposure and like fall into this world that you know exists as far as the, the industry of surfing rather than just surfing for what it is. Yeah, that's a super tricky question to, to be honest. I, you know, f- First of all, um, I'm just really grateful that he loves to surf. Um, Surfing in my life has been so important, you know, totally aside from that it became my work and became my livelihood and and all the opportunities that come with that. Just like the surfing has kept me sane for for 40 years. You know, it was my escape when I was a kid, when my parents were, you know, getting divorced and, and, things got really ugly in my household. Um, surfing was always there for me. I felt like it was like my savior. 
Um, it was like my church. It was like my religion, you know, and, and it was, like, yeah. that sounds super cheesy, but that was the thing that I felt like saved me. That was the thing that was always there for me, no matter what. Um, yep. And so that's been such an important part of my life as far as like keeping my stress levels low and always just being there when I need to need an outlet or somewhere to put my energy or somewhere when I'm stressed out or bummed out, I can always go surfing, you know, just grab my trunks and my surfboard and everything is right. You know, I just go surfing and catch a few waves. And, and so from that perspective, I'm really happy for him that he's found a love for surfing because you know, he has that now, you know, and that's yeah. his thing. It's not, it's not, it's not so much our thing. It's his thing. And that's, that's super important to me. So that's on one hand. And on, on the other hand, it's because he's gotten good at surfing. It's become kind of like a work thing for him now too, which is super strange and something I, that neither of us saw coming. Right. Um, and you know, I'm helping him navigate that in a way that I feel is pretty healthy. Um, I definitely hypersensitive to anything that's not authentic and, and being feeling rushed. I, it's, it's more for us. It's more of like, Hey, you know, you're super young and let's just be patient with all this stuff and let's just go surfing and do it for fun and, and do it because we love it. And, and if you get really good at surfing, that's great. And rad opportunities will come your way from that. But in, like in the meantime, let's just really stay true to, to who you are and what we're doing here, you know, and, yeah. and just, just try to keep it in perspective. Is that how you feel about yourself within the hunting community? Because I mean, you've kind of gained a, a, a niche place in that community as well. I mean, it's, it's pretty cool to see, man, you've had some really, really awesome stuff. You've done tar, right? Uh, that was one of the, that's one of the yeah. hunts. It's like, that's a bucket list hunt for just about everyone. I would say that really looks at hunting for what it can be. You know, you yeah. can't necessarily always afford the, the Rocky mountain sheep hunt, but you can afford a tar, which gives you similar kind of aesthetic as far as how you would approach it and whatnot. Well, and the challenge is very, I, I've, I've never hunted Rocky Mountain sheep, but the, but the challenge of bow hunting tar is no joke, man. Serious. Like you're, you're literally like hiking around underneath glaciers and, and in vertical cliff faces and, and just really unforgiving terrain where it's challenging mentally and physically and just gives you all of those things that you're craving. If you want to like really adventurous hunt, you know, was that the hardest hunt you've ever done to date? No, it wasn't. Um, and that's because I, I didn't go like, um, I hunted with Remy Warren on that, on that hunt, which was a really cool opportunity. I, I went with a couple other guys as well. Uh, Benny B, um, yep. it was a Yeti hunt and, uh, it was just a really fun hunt. And we hunted fallow deer and red deer on that, on that trip. We did a bunch of like, um, you know, like, uh, and it wasn't like one of those red stag hunts where they like let you loose in a pen where there's a bunch <laughs> right. of farm, farm animals there with giant racks. It's not like that. It was like a, it was the real deal. Um, yeah. total, total, total backcountry like public land, um, red deer and tar. It was, it was awesome. But we, we, we didn't have like a week straight going after tar. It was just like a, like a, like a couple of really tough days, but Man, some of the elk hunting I did when I was younger, when I first started elk hunting, was probably the most brutal and 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 radical from like a um, you know mentally and physically the hardest hunts I've ever done. What made them like? What made them harder? Because you know when I'm thinking about it, 
um, you, you ought, you like to do public land hunts too, right? I mean, like that's, that's one of the things that's, that you're really into. So you like to just, I'll do whatever I can. I mean, sure. it's, it's <laughs> right. I mean, if I get it's it's, isn't that funny? The whole like public private thing. Yeah. Like once you get really into hunting and if you say you post a photo hunting somewhere and people are like, is that public land? Is that public land? Like it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't count when, when you're over a, a some boundary. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, I, when I first started out elk hunting, I knew nothing about it. You know, I'm from Hawaii. I, it was really difficult to do research back then. The internet was like barely going at that time. And, um, I didn't know how to research anything. And you, so you can't scout, you can't do anything like that. And I had no friends that hunted elk. And so me and my buddy from Hawaii basically just winged it. We went out to Colorado, bought, um, over the counter tags and did a do it yourself, like drive to a trailhead at 9,500 feet and walked up to the highest water that we could find, which was at about 11, you know, 10,500, 11,000 feet. And basically, uh, you know, did like a, did, you know, stayed in like one man tents and did the ultralight backcountry thing. And it took me four years, but I ended up killing a bull in my fourth year. And that, that like over the counter public land in Colorado is, super competitive as far as like high number of hunters, low numbers of elk, trying to find uh, elk in those kind of, um, in that kind of environment and that kind of situation is really difficult. And um, I killed my bull that year. That was the first elk I'd ever killed. I was by myself um, about 11,500 feet right before dark, uh, killed my bull at 11 yards after ambushing him for after stalking him for like two hours and then ended up killing him at like 11 or 12 yards. And, um, just being by myself at like 11,500 feet with a giant dead bull on the ground. Um, and then having to pack that thing out, it took me like three days. It was incredible. Yeah. Dude, like, because you, you kind of mentioned spirituality within your surfing and I know, in that moment right there after four years, I can only imagine the spirituality or the, the connectedness that you felt in that moment. And like the, I had this moment not that long ago. I mean, every time that I've taken an animal, I have a different feeling. Like it's never the same thing, but it's always in the same kind of part of the, the mind where it, it's just like, it almost takes the wind out of you for a second of how, how delicate life really is and how you have that moment where you're the decider, you know, you're the, the fingers on the, the trigger or on the release, whatever it is. And man, just watching this deer the other day, I don't know if I, if you heard the story or you saw any of it, but I was watching this deer and it was, you know, very early rut action, but he had bred two does and was just going back and forth. And they came underneath me uh, frothing at the mouth where he had just run them across these fields for hundreds and hundreds of yards. Yeah. And, and he's just coming right at me and dude, the, the anticipation is he's walking in at 50 yards, 40 yards, 30. And I've got this kind of a scrub brush in front of me. It's 10, 12 feet wide, 10, 12 feet tall. And if, if he, if I hadn't recognized him walking in, further back I would have never been able to do this but knowing it was him I drew it about 15 yards and knew that if he came left or right I had him but man he just kind of paused for about 25 seconds and that whole time that wheel in your head is turning like don't mess this up don't mess this up wait for this what you know and you go through all of these checkpoints and all this stuff that's going on and it's like is this the right one is this the one I should shoot is it going to be like 
how do you combat some of that? Because for me, when all of that comes together, it's, it's a very emotional thing for me, or it has been at every, at every kill that I've made all of that, like last second tediousness in your mind for me always comes out in like, like I said, first, I feel like I get punched in the gut and I lose my breath. And then I just feel so thankful that it's like happy emotion, you know, but the tears always come. Do you feel any of that? Or what's your, you know, kind of correlation with this from a, from a level of connectedness? Yeah. You know, it's, I, I, you know, I mean, I feel the same way for sure. Um, it has such a huge impact on me each time, you know, I let an arrow loose at an animal. So, you know, I definitely don't take it lightly and I try to make ethical shots whenever, whenever, you know, every time I, every time I let an arrow loose, I try to make an ethical shot and I, and I try to be very aware of that. And when, and when things go wrong, bow hunting, you really know about it. You know, if things, things yeah. go wrong, either you make a bad shot period or, you know, maybe you take a risky shot and it hits the animal, not where you want to. And, and those are the nights that, that I don't sleep, you know, and I've, you know, I've done that like a number of time over, over, in, you know, in the, in, since I started bow hunting and, and I really, really dislike that feeling. Um, and I'm not out there to, to hurt any animals. I really want to just, you know, have an amazing experience and bring meat home pure and simple. So yeah, I can definitely feel you on that. I, I feel super connected. Um, in those moments, it's funny because some of the best bow hunters I know, they seem super disconnected. They, they, they seem very unemotional about it and very like almost robotic to where they yeah. don't even phase on, um, you know, they, they doesn't seem like they have that. They, they, they're impacted by that. Yeah. Um, and because of that, because there, there's no emotion involved, they're like just incredible bow hunters. They make perfect shots under, under really intense situations and they don't even seem phased, but I get really jacked up and really buck fevered out and really excited (laughs) and really nervous. And, but you know what, I, I wouldn't, I would not trade it for the world. I'm glad that, that I get really worked up. Um, that's, that's what it's all about for me. If I, if I wanted to not have those really stressful moments and, and, and have everything have to go perfectly to actually get that opportunity and make that perfect shot, then I would be a rifle hunter. <clears throat> yeah. I, I would shoot an animal from 400 yards away where you're like, Oh, there's an animal. Boom. You know? Yeah. And that's fine. I have nothing wrong. There's, there's nothing wrong at all with rifle hunting to me. I think it's a great way to get meat and it's a great way to fill the freezer and a great way to go hunting. But, but it's not the same way as far as like that connectedness with that animal at a really close distance where literally everything has to go right for you to, to, for you to make it happen, you know, with, with all those eyes, I was just bow hunting axis deer here in Hawaii about a week ago. And there was times where I was literally stalking a herd of deer that was 300 strong. Yeah. Hey Jackson, can you close that window right there? CJ, can you close that window? Sorry. Just the noise. The the drums are making, making no problem. Yeah, um, it's no problem. But yeah, the, um, you know, I was just going to say like, um, I was for, there was, there was one stock I did in particular. I think I might've sent you a video, but, um, I was on this group of deer that was like, there was 300 deer yeah. and they, and the closest one was at about 115 yards. And there was like six giant bucks in this group. Um, and it was so epic. And if I would have had a rifle, I could have shot any one of those six bucks. Right. Um, which would have been awesome if that's 
if that's if that was my thing. Um, I could have took the biggest buck out of this herd of 300, but but because I was, I had no. There was it was impossible to get within bow range of this herd. Um, it was so cool because it was impossible. It was so cool because everything had to go right for me to get within range of even one of the does. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, well, that's what, dude. I was going to ask you, like, did you have any close calls? I can't remember because we hunted together at Big Chino in Arizona. Yeah. Did you have any close calls that hunt? Um, or did you have any really good stalks where you just like things didn't go in your favor? Cause man, I'm going back in a couple weeks and that'll be my third time after mule deer. And, and I, I've just, it's, it's unbelievable how hard it is. And when I see these guys posting these pictures, like year after year, season after season of just crushing these amazing, monstrous, super intelligent, super mature mule deer, I just tip my hat. Like it used to drive me crazy from like a jealousy standpoint. Like how the hell is this guy doing that? How's this guy so lucky? And, and a lot of it does come down to luck, but man, to, to be efficient on these animals and to be good, it's unbelievable. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, I didn't have really any close encounters at all. Um, when I was there in Arizona, I had a couple yeah. stalks, but like I would see an animal through the spotting scope and like identify that it was a shooter. And then I would start my stalk and I never saw the animal again, like three, three, three different times. Um, yeah. you know, like by the time I got to kind of where I thought he was, I couldn't, I had no visibility I had no way to like get up on a hill to like <laughs> glass down. It was yeah. just like a sea of, um, you know, thick brush. And it was just really difficult. Uh, like where I found the bucks, it was just really difficult terrain. Um, yeah. it's almost what? like you would have needed like a, it, almost like you would have needed a earpiece with the person who was glassing for you to tell you exactly where that animal was. And it was just, it was really, really difficult. I have hunted mule deer in a lot of different terrain though. Like it, like high, like, um, like Alpine type of, uh, in Colorado, like above tree line. Um, yeah. and then it like in, like in Eastern Colorado in the, in the plains, like in like completely flat plains with not a tiny, like not the tiniest hill for like 50 miles. Yeah. Um, and the grass and the grass is like eight inches long. Um, <laughs> so I've, I've hunted them in the, in a lot of different places now and in Utah and like sagebrush rolling hills. Yeah. Um, and I can tell you that that area in Arizona, they grow big deer, but man, the, the numbers of the numbers are really, really low. Yeah. Um, and if, if you didn't have a guide or if you aren't, aren't able to scout preseason, or if you don't have like a Swarovski scope on a, on a tripod, you're right. like, you're like, you could hunt there for 30 years and never kill a buck. I believe it, man. And I, you know, I really do just admire like that area is such a, like you said, it's a low density genetic monster pool, but you're just not going to see that many deer. Like Chino was telling us, he was like, seeing the deer is the, is the first victory. You know, it's like, it's not like yeah. some places where you go and you're just like <clears throat> kind of mapping out how to get to the deer that you want. 
it's like holy shit any deer becomes a trophy at some point because they are like you said oh yeah even even the three by twos there was a there was a three by two out there that was just a mile and a half wide um just a crab claw on one side and then he had a nice big three on the other and then some of their four by fours and then obviously bucks like chino took with the rifle um they're they're just giants down there um there's huge deer there really i haven't huge. hunted any i haven't hunted mule deer well i'll say this i had an experience on a mule deer hunt in utah but we never saw any deer we really had a just a poorly executed plan going into this thing because they had taken mules up the last few years that they had gone and my friend just has a it's like a bucket list point to, to kill a deer in this area you know it's a ticket he always gets his is draw at it's the uh west west wasatch area or east wasatch area i can't remember yeah but yeah. anyhow he wants to go to this one specific area and hunt and we took some uh we took some bikes up there those e-bikes and it was just such a yeah. hard incline up there and in many in many ways they were a benefit but in some ways they were just a detriment because you just need something more stable and with more go than, uh, than an e-bike in those situations. I mean, there was 13% incline at some points, my body weight and 70 pounds of gear going into an area. And it's like, those bikes just aren't going to do it, but they did offer some stabilization. We were able to kind of straddle them and whatnot, but dude, to go, to go through all of that effort, you know, the plane ticket, the tag, the the hours getting up this thing, packing the weight in and not even seeing a deer like you know, it's very easy for a hunter to watch, you know, just any of the big name hunters that you see on Instagram and you could really get defeated if you wanted to just by how it seems like they always get it done and you're sitting here killing yourself and you can't even see a deer. I mean, did you, did you struggle with any of that in that first period where you were going four years without getting a kill? Oh yeah. I mean, but you know, I, I sort of, I sort of felt like it was a natural and normal thing to not get anything because I was from Hawaii. I wasn't able to scout. I was hunting public land. I didn't really know anything about the animals. So I didn't really expect to have, you know, success right away. It's a lot different, you know, like, like that, like that Wasatch area is amazing. I actually have a, have a few friends who live in Utah and they, and they bow hunt that front, like that, the, the, the Wasatch front there. And, um, but they hunt it hard. Do they, they, they scout, um, you know, preseason for like a couple months, I set up cameras. They, they said they, they go hike up in the mountains and, and, and mark deer and, you know, through their spotting scope and name the deer that they're after and like put a ton of preseason work in. And, that, and that's the kind of thing, if you live in Kentucky, it's impossible. If you live in Hawaii, it's impossible. So a lot of those guys you see who are like do it yourself bow hunters who knock down really big mule deer year after year, they earn it, dude. They're, they're, you know, they're up there every single weekend before season starts. They, they put in tons of work and then they identify the certain areas and the certain bucks thereafter. And, um, you know, you got to work hard if you're getting those things consistently year after year. I mean, <clears throat> I, I know that the guys in Hawaii who are badass bow hunters who are always killing huge bucks with their bows, it's not luck. It's, it's not luck. It's not just because they have access on private land, nothing like that. It's, it's more just, they're willing to put in the work and the time and learn lessons and learn over time, how to become super efficient at finding them, stalking them, and making the shot under pressure, you know, that's what it comes down to. Do you have, uh, do you have pigs out where you're at or do you have to travel to, to hunt pigs? 
No, I can, I can literally hunt pigs right out my doorstep. <laughs> that is awesome. That's, that's one of my favorite hunts is the wild pigs. I mean, one, they're just a menace. I mean, they're such a problem where I hunt them in Oklahoma and Texas and, uh, yeah. but they're so freaking delicious, man. I mean, some of the ones that I've had are absolutely one of like some of my favorite meals have come out for those wild pigs in Oklahoma. Uh, I would be hunting them every day. If I lived out there, <laughs> I would just be yeah. like the back, do- the backyard would become the, the grocery store on those pigs. Do you hunt them much? Or do you you just- can. Yeah, I do. Um, <clears throat> I, 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 I do hunt pigs a lot. I, a lot of times I go hunting for pigs and I'll just stalk them. And then when I, I'll try to get in range yeah. of the pig that I'm after. And then once I'm in range, I try to draw, like I, I just, I just practice. I'll draw and then I'll yep. get my pin on them and just sit there and like execute the shot in my head and then let down and yeah. then I'll restock them again and, and, and kind of do it over and over and over because there's so many pigs where I live that if you just went out to try and kill a pig, you'd pretty much do it almost every day. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, so you can't, you can't do that. And I don't really want to do that. I don't need a freezer full of pork, um, yeah. you know, cause I definitely like prefer deer meat and sure. you can hunt deer all year long in Hawaii. So I got to save freezer space for the deer, but, but yeah, I love hunting pigs. And if you can find them in a stockable area during the day, that, that is so much fun. Yeah, man. I was going to say, uh, when you, you mentioned the, the practice draws are just kind of like the reps, that's been something that I really employed after I met you in Arizona. Um, you know, just really thinking about different scenarios and you tell yourself you can get away with something, but you don't know unless you try. So this year in Kentucky, when I was in the stand, I was very active. You know, I was moving around a little bit, you know, just to see what I could get away with when there were young deer does in the bottom. And then also I drew every single time that I had a deer in the field. And when I actually did my, you know, took my shot, um, it was, it was significantly calmer than any of the previous shots I've done before, just because it became, you know, it was expected. Like if that had been a doe standing there still, I would have drawn on that doe, you know? So it wasn't like this foreign thing for me to draw my arrow back and just, you know, because before you're sitting there and it just like anticipation builds and builds and builds and builds and builds. And dude, the the first time I took an animal with my bow, my God, it was just like watching this pen just swim over the body mass. Like it was the most, if you, if I could replicate that and show it to you, it's embarrassing. You know how much that, that front arm was just pivoting around, pivoting around when I let the arrow go. But I mean, it hit, it did its job. It's at 10 yards. I knew I wasn't going to miss, but man, I was, I was a rat shitting razor blades and I was drawn back. That's funny. Yeah. It's, it definitely, um, it's funny how freaked out you can get in the moment. Like with, yeah. you know, with, with buck fever, some people, some people get to full draw and have to let down and the animals only 10 yards away. Like they, yep. they literally can't execute the shot. They just flip out completely. And, and if you're not a hunter, if you're not, a, especially if you're not a bow hunter, um, you can't relate to that. But man, if you're a bow hunter, I, I, I feel like everyone has experienced buck fever at some point, you know? Oh, the first sign of gold, you know, when I see those antlers, especially around here where everything's been so green early season, and here you are, and you just see these quiet little does, this gray body come in. And then the first hint of that golden antler in the woods, 
you automatically go to the fact that it's the biggest one you've ever, you're ever going to see, you know, it's like, yeah. you get so switched on. It's, um, it's not something that a lot of people, like you said, non-hunters probably never experienced anything like that. Do you think, um, I mean, not to really hammer on COVID or 2020 too much, but it's, it has done one thing. I know my inbox has been more full than ever about people either sharing that they're shooting their bows or, you know, getting into hunting in any capacity. Do you think that's a good thing for hunting overall, or do you think that's going to make, make it more challenging as we move forward? You know, I think more hunters is great. I think it's a good yeah. thing. Um, the, the more people we have in the field, the more people we have buying um, hunting tags, deer tags, fishing licenses, the, the, the better for conservation, the more money there is in the system. Um, you know, the, 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 the stronger the hunting industry is. I think yeah. just, I, I think just it's, it's, it's funny as a human to think like, oh, the less people hunting, the like the, like the more animals there are for me. That's such right. a, like a selfish way to think about it. And <laughs> yep. if you only hunt private land, then that's kind of true. And right. even if you, even if you hunt public land, that's true, but only in the short term. Um, yeah. like the, like the, like the more hunters we have hunting, the better it is long-term for hunting period. You know? Yeah. I think it's, it, uh, I think one of the things that it will do is it'll make the animals smarter. I mean, hunting will definitely get more difficult. I think as more people do it, um, because these animals are so adaptive, they learn, they learn traits, they learn trails, they learn, you know, there was something here that, that today that wasn't there yesterday. I mean, their behaviors are so dialed into their environment. And I think, you know, that, I think that's one area that I look at is the more people that get involved, like you said, the benefit seems like, almost there's no argument that it's all positive other than the fact that people would say, you know, less animals or whatever. But the thing is there would, there would still only be a certain amount of tags. You know what I mean? And as a, they don't just, it's not like there's 10 million new hunters and there's 10 million extra tags laying around, you know, it's still a very, very controlled system that people have to adhere to and follow. I mean, that's what I'm most excited about is that it is one of the few things that the government runs really, really well, yeah. you know? So, well, and, uh, and, uh, and, you know, say, say in 10 years, there's 50% of the hunters that there are now, that sounds really good, right? Because you're like, oh, it's going to be way less crowded out there. But if there's half the amount of hunters there, there's half the amount of ethical hunters and there's more anti-hunters and there's, yeah. there's, there's less people to explain why hunting is important to the non-hunting people out there. Um, yeah. you know, I can just, when, when I, like before I started hunting, I assumed all kinds of things that were untrue. Um, and I feel like a lot of people who don't grow up around hunting do the same. And so if you grow up around people who are ethical hunters, you have a lot better information. And I, I feel like that's super important. Yeah, man. I think, uh, you know, coming through 2020 with all the, the information, misinformation, finger pointing and all that kind of stuff. I think it's important to really try to experience things or understand things as close to firsthand as you can. Um, especially when these things become political issues. I mean, hunting took some beatings this year, you know, on the ballot. And I think it just comes down to people being misinformed or miseducated about what they're really saying when they reintroduce wolves to an environment or, you know, they, they restrict hunting privileges in certain areas of state. I mean, one of the things that I found very interesting was when I found out 
and it might've been on an episode that you were on with, with Rogan was that the insurance companies are actually the ones who dictate the number of tags per state, you know, as far as the, the white tail deer, because, you know, no other method of control or observation gives them the feedback as of, okay, there's this many people on the road. There were this many deer killed by cars. We need to have more tags. You know what I mean? Right. It just becomes this equation that somehow works out, but man, I just think that, that moving forward, I think we're going to have to ask some hard questions. I think that in 2020, we learned that resources are going to be a little bit limited um, and that can pivot very, very quickly. How much peace of mind do you have knowing that you have this, this skill that you could hunt if, if things ever got to a point where you had to hunt, you know, I mean, do you, what kind of challenges or I guess encouragement in times of, of peace, so to say, quote, quotations, would you encourage people you know, to, to prepare to hunt or to begin hunting? Cause that's a question that I get a lot. So somebody that's done it even longer than I have, what would you say to somebody that wants to, to learn this trait, this, this skill and get better at it? Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, I, I've always had people ask me like, Hey, how do I get into this? That, you know, that looks cool. I've always wanted to shoot a bow. I've always wanted to go bow hunting, but nothing like this year, like when, when all that was happening and everyone was like, you know, standing in line at Costco with masks on and everyone was flipping out trying to buy up years worth of food. And <laughs> there's like a panic. Um, I had so many people that I knew that reached out and said, Hey, that's it. I really need to become more self-sufficient. I need to fill my freezer with meat. You know, I need to know how to get meat if, if there's no stores open or, if, or if something really bad happens, um, you know, and I try to encourage them to like, you know, here's how to do it here's the step-by-step process on how to get a bow that's right for you. Um, you know, how to start shooting, you know, where to look for resources online, you know, how to, you know, how to learn proper form and, you know, how to just all that stuff, how to gut an animal, how to, how to field dress an animal. And there's a lot to learn as you know, with bow hunting, but there's a lot of resources out there and it's really neat to see people reach out to try to, you know, get excited about learning something totally new, even though they were, they almost felt forced to this year with the whole COVID thing, you know? Yeah. I think, you know, sometimes I think a back against your wall kind of situation, it can go one of two ways. And I really encourage people like, don't just, don't just assume that because things appear better or have gotten better in some ways that they won't get worse again. You know, I think that's been one of the mistakes that the average American has made, over the last 50 years is that we've gotten used to our creature comforts and forgotten how uncomfortable we used to be. Um, yeah. do you do any trad bow hunting or, or have you, is that something that's ever interested you? Cause that's where I just uh, reached out to Corey Hawk. He's a organic archer on Instagram and uh-huh. he builds, he builds his own bows, does his own arrows and everything. And dude was a Marine. He's done some survival shows just a complete, complete badass. And then I've been watching so much Aaron Snyder lately. I mean, that guy is just a machine um, as a hunter. And like, I think one of the things that Aaron Snyder said that really appealed to me was he was like, if you can, if you can become successful with this on a whitetail deer or, you know, spot and stock on a mule deer with a trad bow, you can literally kill anything on the planet. And I think that, having that confidence, especially after year this year was my encouragement forward, you know, whereas somebody that had never hunted before is now hunting for me. It's like, okay, truly know that you can get it done if your back was against the wall or if you only had limited means, you know what I mean? 
Yeah, no, for sure. It, it's, it's, it's cool because like you said, like the, the, like the barrier to entry with, with, with a trad bow is very low, you know, yeah. they're, 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 they're relatively inexpensive. You can even make one yourself if you really wanted to. Um, you know, and, and I, and I have friends that hunt with trad bows, um, and they're badass. dude. these guys are gnarly. They're really, really good. And they get it done pretty consistently for me personally. I like shooting recurves, um, at targets. It's yeah. really, really fun. And it's, I, I love it. I love, love going out and having a beer and shooting some arrows at, on, on the target with the trad bow. But as far as like my accuracy goes, I don't feel like I have the time to put in on a consistent basis to be as accurate as I feel like I would need to be to make ethical shots on an animal. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's yeah. like, like bow hunting with the bow that I have now, as good as my bow is and as efficient as it is built to be, it's so challenging for me to make a great shot on an animal at 40 yards in the moment when there's a herd of deer and they're all looking in different directions. They're all freaked out. And I had that one moment to try and execute the perfect shot. There's no challenge. Um, you know, f- f- there's, 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 there's no shortage of a challenge in that moment for me. <laughs> right. And until I feel like I need more of a challenge, I'm not going to switch to a trad bow for hunting. You might, you might be talking the voice of reason to me over here because you, you know, you probably understand I can get insane on stuff. Like I can get so far down rabbit holes on things that I can hyper obsess myself out of loving something that would have been awesome. You know, I can, I can beat it to death. So that's probably good advice is, is get a mule deer with my compound before I start talking shit about getting one with a trad. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean like where I live, it's, it's like, you know, we, we have pigs and sheep yeah. and deer where, where I live on the, on the big Island and all, I, sorry, uh, pigs, sheep, and goats. Um, yep. we don't have deer, unfortunately, I wish, but the, the goats and the sheep and the pigs are great bow hunting animals or they're, they're, they're really good bow hunting, um, spe- species, you know, cause you can get within range. It's not, yeah. it's, it's not super, super hard to get in bow hunting range on pig, sheep and, and goats. Um, so trad bow where I live is really good. Um, yeah. you know, cause you can get a lot of opportunities. I just don't feel like, um, like the guys that I know that are proficient with trad bows, they shoot either every day or like five days a week. Um, right. And they put a lot of time into their equipment. They're very meticulous. They, they do like the um, tinkering and making sure their equipment is dialed and they're consistently shooting the target. And, and the guys that the, the most proficient guys I know will never shoot past 20 yards, maybe 25. Um, you know, they're never, ever taking like a 30, 40 yard shot with a trap bow. Yeah. Um, and so for me, I just know that I don't have the time to put into that equipment right now. And I, and, and, and the other thing, and this is like a, you know, for someone who doesn't bow hunt, they're going to think I'm a total scrub, but I don't have it in me. If there's a monster mule deer at 40 yards, I don't have it in me to let him walk. If I have a trad bow in my hand, Right. you know what I mean? I need yeah. to, if that if that deer is 40 yards away, broadside feeding dead stopped in the sun, I want to have my compound bow on me because I want to be able to take that shot. And that 40 yard shot with a, with a compound bow for me is really hard to make in the, in that moment. So that, 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 that challenge is something that is very high level challenge still for me. And until that is not a challenge anymore, I'm going to be out there with my compound bow. 
<laughs> well, I, I just think that that's, I mean, 40 yards, people don't realize, I mean, it, it's amazing how an animal gets switched on when the seasons, like, you know, it's funny when they talk about turkeys, how you can damn near hand feed them, you know, around the, around the year. And then when it's turkey season, they're just the smartest, most observant bird in the world. Um, but to get 40 yards from an animal, it, it's just an unbelievable feeling, especially something like a mule deer. Um, I've been within about a hundred yards of an elk when it was not elk season or I didn't have an elk tag, but just even at a hundred yards, the impressiveness of, of an animal like that and being able to know that you got close enough with intention, you know, you didn't just bump into it. You got there because you, you put in some work and I was actually working towards a mule deer in Arizona when I saw the elk. So it was, it was a really cool thing for me to feel that. Um, cause those, those animals, I mean, it's, it's a totally different experience stalking one down versus sitting in a tree and waiting. And actually I was very, so you haven't hunted elk yet. I have not hunted elk. I'm going out in a couple of weeks to hunt elk for my first time at Chino. Dude, so you're going to freak out is so much fun. <laughs> That's what everybody says. I mean, I, I've been around people who, who have hunted it and I've been around people who have been successful on it. I mean, big names and, and, and guys that have just put in the work for 20 plus years, but man, I can tell you right now, even talking about it, um, getting the goosebumps on the arm because it's just an opportunity to test myself, you know, and I think coming from a competitive background and not having that outlet, uh, at a competitive level, especially this is something where it's like, I can always know if I've put in the honest work, you know, even if I can, even if I don't get the shot or if I don't execute the perfect shot, um, the, the repetitions of, of stalking these animals and going back and not getting discouraged and shooting my bow when I had the opportunity and so on and so forth, man, it just, I want to feel what you felt after four years, you know what I mean? And I just need to remind myself that, that it will happen, but I have to be patient. I have to earn it. Yeah. The elk are really cool because you can interact with them, you know, and they, yeah. and the, like a lot of times they let you know where they are, which is crazy. And, and even then, even then, even though you can interact with them, even though sometimes they let you know where they are, if a bull is bugling, um, even then it's so difficult to get within bow range. And then even when you are within bow range, most of the time they're staring right at you. So they don't, they're, they're not presenting a great shot opportunity. You don't right. want to shoot one of those things head on Do not do that. Um, I've made that mistake in the past and it's, it's real. Um, yeah you know, so it's just a lot of fun, but you know, it's so fun to spot and stalk elk or to call them in. Um, but man, they are incredible creatures. I was, I was lucky enough to hunt in Southern Colorado, um, recently in like late September and just beautiful country. And we had great weather and, and, uh, just, you know, just being amongst the elk in the mountains and there's nothing like it. Dude, it's, um, when I saw the pictures of your elk, dude, I was, I was super stoked about it. Like just knowing that I, I love following you, like I said, because you, you would never know what the hell's going on in your life because you just share so little. So when you get to see some of the behind the scenes stuff, especially on a hunt, like it's, it's really cool to see somebody be successful. Um, and I know that bull, I, I like what happened, what's the story of this year's bull? I mean, like, how did that one shake out? Um, it was interesting. Uh, it, it was, um, I was hunting with my buddy Keith 
Keith Malloy. Um, he's, he's also a surfer. I've been friends with him for like 30 years and he's not an avid bow hunter. He doesn't, he doesn't bow hunt very often. And, and so we both got the invite to, to go out there to Southern Colorado to go, go home with some friends. And I was hunting with a guy named Jeff Simpson and, um, we had some private ground to hunt out there and I was really, really excited. And then after about three or four days of hunting, all the elk seemed to be on the adjacent property every single yeah. day we were glassing elk, but they were always on the wrong property. Um, <laughs> and so I'm sitting there at a, at a high point for like three or four days watching like a hundred elk and all these bulls screaming and bugling and, you know, carrying on, but none of them were, were on the property that we could hunt. <laughs> it was, I was starting to get really um, frustrated and kind of bummed out because, you know, like my time was dwindling down and I, I had to go home soon and I didn't think it was going to happen. And I just got really lucky one afternoon. Um, you know, we, we were on this group of elk and they were on the wrong property again, but we were, we were kind of just following them. And then some of them, some of them jumped over the fence into our, into our zone. And, and I was with my buddy Jeff and it was like one of those stocks that was like running and gunning for elk. And we were trying to keep up with this herd and there was about a hundred of them. Um, and they were all like out in this meadow and we were in the thick, just kind of like, um, kind of paralleling them. And, uh, just when I thought it wasn't going to happen cause it was about to get dark and they were kind of moving off. Um, we thought some of them saw us making a move. And so, uh, my buddy Jeff kind of cow called just to calm them down. And mm-hmm. luckily one of the bulls heard that cow call and just his curiousness in the moment, because it was the rut, because they were all fired up. He turned and walked straight towards us from about 90 yards away. Holy and shit. He goes, dude, it is on. He is coming to get ready. And in that moment, if you're a bow hunter, you know what I'm talking about. Like the moment when you're like, oh, this is not going to happen. This is not going to happen. It's about to get dark. These, you know, I, yep. like I, I was already thinking, geez, I can't believe this didn't happen. And I, I was already thinking about tomorrow and that my time is dwindling. And all of a sudden this bull turns around from 90 yards and starts walking straight at me. And, <laughs> and so he, he said, he's at 80, he's at 70, he's at 60, he's at 50, he's at 40, he's at 30. And I'm like behind this clump of trees with my buddy, Jeff. And he's like giving me the, like the, the, he's giving me the yardage and the, the bull's facing me. And then he's behind the trees and he's facing me and then he's behind the trees. And then all of a sudden I realized, okay, he's going to come out from, you know, he's going to come out on the left-hand side of these trees. And, um, you know, it was, just like a, one of those hunting videos where everything all of a sudden went from totally wrong to totally right. And yeah. he was, at, he was at about 35, 36 yards and he came out and um, he came right out into my shooting lane and he was feeding and I drew back without him seeing me like while he was still behind the tree. And then he came out, I had to wait for a pretty damn long time, but his shoulder was back, you know, when they're walking his shoulders, not in a good position. Yep. And, I somehow had the mental clarity to sit there and wait for him to take a step forward on, on his, on his left side. And so yeah. his shoulder went forward. I put my pin on his like right in the pocket and I started pulling. I, I actually shoot a back tension release, a silver back. Um, yep. And so I don't have a trigger. I can't like punch the trigger or make it go off. I just had to basically put my pin right in his armpit and just start pulling, pulling, pulling slowly. And shot executed and it went right where I was aiming and he went down in sight and piled right up. And it was, it was one of those moments where like your heart's beating out of your chest and you got to try and like, um, 
you know, got not, not get overly emotional and try to, you know, just keep it together. And, um, I feel like that in that moment is so hard to do when there's a 850 pound animal standing 35 (laughs) yards away from you that you've been thinking about all year long. You know what I mean? And so many things can go wrong, but then in, in bow hunting, it seems like everything, like there's something always goes wrong in bow hunting where it doesn't happen. But when that elk is standing there broadside and his shoulders forward and nothing's wrong with your bow and the, and the wind's right. And it's all up to you. There's nothing else like it. That's awesome, man. And that's, I mean, that's what I, you're exactly right. I mean, I can't wait to, to feel that moment, whether it's this year or it's, it's some point down the line, but when it all comes together and your bow works, you work, the arrow flies true. I mean, it's, it's a pretty awesome thing that I wish more people would, would take the next step and then try to experience what it's like to even hit that feeling on a bullseye on a target and then to progress to a level where they can hunt themselves. Because I know for me, um, it's just changed the trajectory of my life. It's, it's really given my life a little bit of stability to focus and work around and, and enjoy, you know, it's, it's awesome to not only be in the hunt and the camps are awesome. The people that you meet in camp are usually just salt of the earth kind of people, but then also to have that meet and to share with your family and friends. That's one of my favorite, favorite things because I love to cook. So you had the experience of, of not only cooking it, but taking that animal and bringing it. And it's, I don't care to admit, I feel proud as hell when I do that. You know, it's, it's a yeah. seriously satisfying feeling, but, um, I mean, how much, how much more hunting experience are you searching? Are you trying to get into more hunting each year? Cause I kind of want to, don't want to waste your time and drag this out all day, but I guess to wrap it up, what would be like two dream hunts for you? And then if you could really only surf two more waves, like if you had, clarity enough to know that like you're going to get the perfect wave at two locations what would they be and what two animals would you hunt um as far as surfing goes there's a wave called cloud break in fiji that's Uh my favorite wave on the planet i spent you know years of my life there and um i absolutely love that place um i'm i'm from hawaii so that the tropical water is something that i'm very much into i'm not super into wetsuits so yeah uh Cloud break in Fiji would be one. And then there, there's a, there's uh, let's see, um, a perfect wave of pipeline here on the North shore of Oahu would probably be the other. Yeah. Sweet. And then as, as far as hunting goes, honestly, I'm not super worried about, I'm, I, I feel like there's two different kinds of hunters. I feel like there's the type of hunter that has a big checklist of different animals that he needs to kill. Yeah. Um, like, Oh, I really need to get one of those. I get one. I need to get one of those. Okay. I got that one. Now I get to need, need to get one of these. Um, I've never really been that kind of hunter. If, yeah. if I could only hunt mule deer, axis deer and elk for the rest of my life, I'd be completely happy. And I could hunt those animals like six months a year straight for the rest yeah. of my life and never be bored. Um, so for, for me, it's not about like different, it's not about like some certain species it's more about spending time in the mountains. It's about spending time in the wild, um, you know, having adventures in the woods and, and and hunting animals that I want to eat. Um, I want to hunt them and I want to eat them. You know, I love elk. I love axis deer. I love mule deer. I love eating them, hunting them, stalking them, um, the whole deal. So that's what I'm, that's what I'm really into. Well, that's awesome, man. Cause that's, that's kind of where, 
that's kind of where I am. And I mean, this year has been my first really tiptoe, I guess, into deeper waters as far as hunting, like trying to get mule deer tags and elk tags and all of, on all of this. Um, but you know, I'm, it's not that I'm tired of, of the hunting. It's like, it's pretty exhausting to, to crisscross and, and expend so much energy in such a condensed time for me. I think, I've got a group of guys in Oklahoma that I really get along well with. We have a good competitive atmosphere when we're together. I would like to hunt there um, every year for whitetail and pigs. Just seems to be a, a place that good traditions can come from. Yeah. Hunt my Kentucky buck, um, hunt Kentucky turkey. Next year, I want to hunt a black bear in either North Carolina or West Virginia. And then maybe next year, the, the year after, I mean, keep those whitetail turkey hunts the same, maybe add one and then have a Western hunt, but keep it to like three or four hunts a year. So to me, they don't become the expectation. They become still like they, they hold that value of, of what they really mean to me instead of becoming like, okay, just another hunt, just another hunt, just another hunt. You know, I always wanted to be special. Yeah. Same here. And I, and the, the cool thing for, for me is, um, you know, I, I live in Hawaii where we don't have a hunting season. And so, you know, when I, when like, when, like when my freezer gets low on access deer, my wife's like, Hey, you need to go get us more meat. And so then I need to, you know, jump on a plane and fly 30 minutes over to the next Island where there's 60,000 deer and, and go stack up a few does, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's for me, that's so challenging so fun and my family loves to eat the meat and so that it's it's like a it, it it does come full circle each time you know so i'm i'm extremely lucky to be able to live in hawaii and and have consistent hunts yeah man well listen i'm going to be out there to see our boy danny bolton and then uh, neil kamamura so whenever cool. i'm coming out i'll let you know and maybe we can get together and hunt some pigs or maybe get on some deer 100%. I would love that. <laughs> All right, Shane, man, thank you so much for the combo, dude. You're just a, you're just a down ass dude. And I love what you're about. So thank you for taking the time out. Thanks dude. It was a pleasure. And let's go hunting again soon. All right, man. I'll talk to you. Thanks. All right, Brandon. See you.